You're listening to The Sermon and Beyond, originally taught on Sunday, July 9th, 2023, from the sermon series, Summer in the Psalms, by lead pastor Dan Krause from Brian Baptist Church. We believe. We believe. Nos cremos. We believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Creador del cielo y de la tierra. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Maria Mare. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. We believe. We believe. Apoja. Tunamini. We believe that on the third day of the third day, He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Christian faith. We will live in the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Every, every morning I have a little bit of a routine. Most of my mornings look very similar one to the other. You're probably the same way. You get up, you brush your teeth, hopefully, right? You get cleaned up, you get ready to go about your day. Go downstairs at my house. I go downstairs and, and uh, we'll have a breakfast and talk to my wife. And if the boys are up or around, I'll talk to them some. But usually most mornings look very similar. Sunday morning is no different. Uh, without realizing it, we can kind of into our own routine, and we tend to do things over and over the same way. And in our routine, it's easy for us to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. It's, it's easy to get up in the morning and say, there's really nothing beyond Mansfield, Ohio. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Now, none of us would actually say that, and I don't even know that we're aware of it, but I think it kind of happens, it kind of happens where we just kind of forget about the rest of the world. And then maybe sometime during your day, you'll turn the news on and you'll start watching whatever news source that you, you watch and, and you see different things that are taking place across the globe. And, and if you're like me, there's a tendency to kind of judge what's happening somewhere else based on my own experiences and based on my own cultural context, right? This is something that we just do as humans. But I, I want us to take a moment this morning just to remember something important. That all across the world this morning, all across the globe, on every continent, somebody woke up, people woke up this morning, they did their own routine, their own things, in their own culture, in their own context, and then gathered together to worship and praise one God. You know, you are part of a movement that goes far beyond Mansfield, it goes far beyond Ohio. It goes far beyond the United States to every corner of the globe. There are people gathering, sharing the Lord's Supper together, singing songs of praise, hearing the Word preached all over the place. You know, you, you might be inclined to believe a lie that God is done doing new things in this world. That's simply not true. While it might seem like the church has been playing defense for a really long time, and friends, we have been. We've been playing defense. What does it look like for the church to play defense? Look what's happening over here. Look what's happening over there. Our political system is a mess, and it may be. 
But all of those things, they kind of, they, they, they make us want to fight for what we believe is ours and our rights and, and, and how the world should live with a Christian culture. We, we start playing defense when in fact the gospel isn't a defensive weapon, it is an offensive weapon. Church, we have been on our heels for too long. When I say church, I mean capital C. The church has been on our heels for too long. It is time for us to believe that God can do what he says he can do. It is time for us to believe that God can bring up a new movement, not just in Ohio, but across the globe. I'm tired of the church feeling like she is defeated. Take a big, deep breath in. Come on, one, two, three. Now take a minute before you breathe out, right? For those around you. Now breathe out. As long as you can do that, as long as there is air in your lungs, the church is not defeated and God is not done. Will somebody get kind of excited with me? Man, I'll tell you what, guys. I've been in sports. I've been on losing teams. Most of them were my fault. <laughs> There's something about the feeling of winning. You're on the winning team. Can I remind you of that this morning? You are on the winning team. You say, oh yes, pastor, I know. In the end of times, at the return of Christ, or when he calls me home, we will see the final victory. That is absolutely true. But I believe that we don't have to wait for that day. I believe that God still has a purpose for your life. I believe that God still wants to reach every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. I believe that you, the church, is his option A, and there is no option B. Oh, who wants to see revival? Who wants to see people coming in mass to Christ? Not just in Mansfield, but across the globe. You know, I've shared this before, but having, been, uh, having had the experience of worshiping God in places where they speak different languages, there is this immense beauty. You recognize the tune, but you don't really know what's being said. There's this immense beauty. And then you close your eyes and you think it's songs like we sing, uh, Behold Our God, coming from every language known to man around the throne of God. Anybody else get excited about that? Now let me ask you this. Does anybody want to taste that before they die? See, I do. And I believe that God can and will do incredible things in this world, he's not done yet. Let's stop playing defense, church. Let's start playing offense. Believing that we are on the winning team. Believing that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. Who can do the impossible? Just take a moment and reflect and think back on your own life. If you are a follower of Christ, I want you to think about how incredibly miraculous and marvelous it is that God who knows every detail about you loves you. Loves you. He knows what you thought. He knows what you're thinking about me right now. And he loves you. What an incredible, miraculous thing. But that neighbor that you have, that coworker that you have, that other cultural group that is around you, that, that you, you don't really like that much, guess what? He loves them too. And he's positioned you to bring his gospel to them. He has equipped you, he has positioned you, and he has empowered you by his word and his Holy Spirit. What's stopping us? What's stopping us? If you've been coming here for any length of time, or even if today was your first day, you may have noticed some words on the wall in a couple different places this is our purpose statement it goes like this we are a community of christ followers enjoying god together i love this part enjoying god together anybody else grow up in church this wasn't my parents fault or even my church's fault probably just me being me anybody else grow up and you kind of feel like a christian is just kind of like this all the time and so he's like hey what's the, what are you doing and you're like nothing i can't do anything i don't want to do anything I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to sin. I'm going to screw up. That's not what Christianity is. That's not what it is at all. How many parents in this room want your kids just to blindly obey you? I know it might be nice for a couple of days. No, you want heart change. 
right? You want heart change, not just compliance. You want your kids to enjoy being part of your family and enjoy being with you. And if we want that for our kids, how much more then does God, who saw fit to save us at a terrible price, how much more then does he want you to enjoy him together? Christianity is having joy. We get to come together. We get to sing praises. We get to grow in him. We get to see the miraculous happen. We get to enjoy God together. We are a community of Christ followers, enjoying God together, growing in grace and in truth. Both of these things are important, by the way. Many in the church, they, they, they're heavy in grace and light in the truth, or heavy in the truth and light on the grace. Anybody ever experienced a church like that? We need to be a church of heavy in both grace and truth. That we unashamedly proclaim the truth and do it in love. Being a church of grace and truth. And taking life in Christ. This is the offensive side. Taking life in Christ to the heart of Ohio. That means your neighbors, the people around you, and your own circle of influence, and beyond. Today I want to spend some time talking about the and beyond. I think we have a picture that can be painted for us in the 96th Psalm of what it looks like when every tongue, when every tribe, when every nation bows before the throne of God, recognizing that he reigns. Good job, I hear the pages turning already. Psalm 96, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, we'll have the text on the screen behind me. I want to I paint this picture of what can be in our lifetime, that we don't have to wait to heaven to see. Friends, there can be no doubt that Christianity has lost ground in our country over the last generation. In the fact that it isn't just America, Christianity seems to be in the fight for her life throughout the Western world. Many nations considered to be post-Christian. And there's yet to be a post-Christian nation that has experienced revival at a national level. Yet. Yet. Friends, it's not time to wash our hands and accept defeat. It's time to dig in and bring the gospel to people who need to hear it. We're going to pray and then we'll look at 96th Psalm. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you aren't just the father of the Christians who are here in Mansfield, Ohio, but across the globe. Thank you that there are men and women you have sent into every corner of this world. But God, there's still corners that need to be reached. There are still people who have not had a fair shot at your gospel. God, help us as the church to band together, to unite, to make sure that every man, woman, and child on this war, in this earth has a fair shot at your gospel. God, as we go to your word, may your spirit speak in and through it. God, may your spirit open our ears so that we may have understanding. And as a result of these things, God, we'll be, we'll be closer to you when we leave than when we got here. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in splendor, in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. 
He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now this text is looking back, but my first point today is going to talk, be talking about how it is looking ahead. This text is looking ahead. Now this is a modified song, this text, Psalm 96, it's a modified song that was sung at the triumphal entry of the ark into Jerusalem under King David. This was an incredibly special time. David is now king, and they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And this song is a modification of what is singing. You can read, or what was sung, you can read uh, the modified version in 1 Chronicle 16, and you can get the backstory of what was taking place in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I want to encourage you to maybe even mark those two spots in your Bible so you can get a little deeper understanding of this text. This is important for us to do this. If we are going to grow as followers of Jesus Christ, it's not enough that we would just come and hear the Word of God preached. That's very important. But that you'd also take some time to study it for yourselves. So Psalm 96 is tied to 1 Chronicles 16 and 2 Samuel chapter 6. So take a moment to look at that and see what this is looking back at. While it looks back at the entry of the ark into Jerusalem, the psalm also looks forward to the return of Christ. You may have noticed in verse number 10, it says, Say among the nation the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. This is talking about a time to come when the Messiah has returned, King Jesus. We're looking at Jesus. I've told you as we're looking at this summer in Psalms, as we're focusing in on a few Psalms this summer, how it's looking towards that time when Jesus will return. The Psalms point to Jesus. Looking to the return of Christ in verse 10. Again, it's referring to a coming kingdom, and it will be fulfilled upon the return of Christ. Church, I do not want to wait, however, for the return of Christ to praise him, and I do not want to wait for him to judge the world, to tell the world about him. We can see some of this happen on earth as it is in heaven. We can see people coming to Christ on a regular basis across the line of cultures and nations. Across this earth, while this is a picture of that time to come when Jesus is on his throne here in this world, and we do picture that. In fact, maybe we sing this same song that they sang when the ark came into Jerusalem. Maybe that happens as the church. But I believe that we can see glimpses of that on earth before the return of Christ, before we are called home. And I want to desperately see that. I want to see a day where it is on earth as it is in heaven. I believe in a strong and mighty God who has indwelled His children with His Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit who rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. That means through you, He can bring life where there was death and light where there was darkness. I want to see a church on the move. I want to see a church using the Gospel as an offensive weapon. Not changing the gospel to make it more palatable for somebody. As soon as we do that, we remove the power. And by the way, it's not a story that is ours to change. To speak the truth in love. The gospel as it is written in God's word. Friends, God can do the impossible. He can do the impossible. When did the church stop believing that? You know, I, I, I saw on the sign on the way in that it said that we are Baptist. And we are in our, in our doctrine, in our, our way of believing. But friends, that doesn't mean we don't believe that God can do the impossible. I, I, I've seen God do some incredible things in my life. You know, physically speaking, I've seen God do some incredible things. There's, I shared this story before, but about 13 years ago. So my, my oldest son, Elijah, is 18. And that's how I remember it was about 13 years ago when Elijah was five. I was working in a church and I got a uh, phone call from a family and said, hey, we know this, this other family whose five-year-old son fell out of a window of a second-floor home, landed on his head on the concrete. He's in the hospital. He's going to probably die. Could somebody go up and pray with the family? So I went up to the hospital and I, I see uh, this scene. And the, the boy had frontal lobe damage major. They knew this. He wasn't in a medically induced coma yet. He was just unconscious still and it was probably 18 hours or so after he had fallen out of the window they knew he had a bruised heart several broken bones and and they were preparing for the worst 
they were preparing for the worst. And I got to tell you, I, I didn't know the family, and I came up, and I didn't even know where to lay hands on this boy because he was so broken. But I prayed that God would do the miraculous in his life. But I'll confess to you as I prayed that that would happen, I don't know that I believed that it would. I don't know that I, up until this point, I don't know that I've seen anything. I've heard, of course, about miraculous things, but I've always been skeptical of them. The people who seem to talk the most about God's miracles seem to profit from that. And I grew very skeptical of that. Anybody else? But I prayed nonetheless that God would heal this young guy, and this was on a Thursday. I left the hospital, again, thinking that I would soon be getting a call and I'd be doing, the, doing his funeral. Sunday after church, I decided I haven't heard anything. I'm going to go back and just check and see what's happening. I go into the hospital Sunday afternoon. I asked where this boy's room was, and he had been moved. That kind of surprised me. I, open, I walk um, around the corner into the door, and I see something that I'll never forget this image. This boy is sitting up on his bed playing with toys. His whole family staying there. They're not church-going people at the time. The mom sees me, and she goes, Father Dan! And I was like, who's that? <laughs> oh, it's me. You prayed that God would heal him, and he's healed! I was convicted in the moment because I remember praying that God would heal him, but not thinking he would. Yet God just did the miraculous. By the way, that young kid just graduated high school. No lasting problems. You know, frontal lobe issues. No personality issues whatsoever. Like literally completely healed. God can do the impossible. But friends, you don't have to go to a hospital room to see God do the impossible. You can go into the bathroom of your house and look into the mirror and realize that God did the impossible in your life if you were a follower of Christ. You know who you were. You know the sin in your life. You know your propensity to sin even now. And God brought you from death unto life. Last week we got to celebrate 10, I think 10 baptisms in a service. How incredible is that? That picture of baptism, it's a picture of dying to oneself and rising again to walk in the newness of life. That is a miraculous moment. It's a miraculous moment, friends. God isn't done doing the miraculous. God isn't done doing the miraculous. Would we as a church believe again that God is capable of doing the impossible? Church, let's stop feeling so defeated, going, wow, this is a post-Christian nation. America's going to fall right into the same thing. The church is dying. Let's stop the defeated attitude and say, you know what? The enemy, he's swinging. He's swinging hard. You know why he's swinging hard? Because he knows at the end of the day he's lost. Let's bring back the church that swings back with the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, no, we're not going to be on our heels any longer, not just locally, but internationally. We're not going to take and accept defeat because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. We are the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, and we will not take defeat. We will not be the generation that loses. In fact, we're going to be the generation that stands up, locks arms and unites together and brings the gospel of Jesus Christ where they don't have it. I want to see that kind of church. I think we all do. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, it's possible. It's possible. You know, I, I like reading about the revivals that have happened in the past through the UK, through Germany, through the United States, some of these amazing things that have happened. What if that's just the opening act? What if that's just the opening act and the real show is about to begin? What if we see an awakening this world has never experienced? It can happen. Church, would we believe that? And would we work towards it? God can do the impossible. Friends, I believe that God can move in the hearts of the nations. I believe that he can use his church, you, as a force that brings light from the darkness. I believe he can bring salvation to every nation. I believe he can bring new life in nations that have drifted away from his truth. And I desperately want to see it happen. 
Friends, I believe that we can see revival in our day. I believe we can see a time where Christ's name is magnified among all of the nations. I want to look at the psalm and see what we can learn about how that's going to happen or what that's going to look like. What it says about God and who he is and what the response of creation ought to be. Then we both praise him and we make his name known among the nations. Our instructions are clear. Next point is this. God's, we look at this text, we will see God's greatness throughout this text and we will see creation's response. I'm not going to reread the text. You can look at it as we go if you'd like. God's greatness. What does this text say about God's greatness? It says that salvation is his. It says that he has done marvelous things. That he is great. That he is greater than all of the gods of this world. That he is splendid, majestic, strong and beautiful. He is holy. He reigns. He established the world. He is an equitable judge. He is returning. And he will judge in righteousness and faithfulness. That is who our God is. And what is creation's response according to Psalm 96? Singing new songs of praise to Him. Blessing His name. Sharing His goodness with others as we share of His salvation. As we talk of His salvation day to day. Declaring His glory and His works to all the earth. Praising Him for His greatness. Fearing Him. Recognizing His glory and His strength. Bringing Him an offering. By the way, the offering that He wants is all of us. Worshiping Him. Trembling before Him. Bowing before Him because our God reigns. Let the heavens be glad, it says. The earth rejoice. The sea will roar. The field will exult. And the trees will sing. This is creation's response to the greatness of God as we see in Psalm 96. But what about us today? When we leave here, Let's make sure that the people in our circle of influence can never say, that can never say that we didn't give them a fair shot at the gospel. And as a church, let's do all that we can to ensure that people of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation gets a fair shot at the gospel. It's not just good news, it's the absolute best news ever. And finally, I want to share this with you, that the gospel is for the nations, not just for us. Not just for us at Berean Baptist Church. The gospel is for the nations. We do have a responsibility to proclaim Christ in our own culture, in our own context. I've already talked about that. That you have this circle of influence. That you can share the good news of Christ with those who are around you. Sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes people are acting different than you. They think different. They're annoying to you, right? They need a fair shot at the gospel. And maybe God puts you right where you are because he wants you to share your story and his gospel with that person. And maybe God will use you to bring them from death unto life. We have that responsibility. Friends, the result of the gospel is the reorientation of the heart of man. We must become Christ-centered and Christ-focused. And when we do that, we won't be able to help but to share the good news of Jesus to others. This psalm reminds us that the primary duty of the nations is to orient our hearts together and to praise Him. I want to I close today by talking, at least close my portion today, about talking about how we at Berean do some of this. So we have missionaries in various parts of this world. Some of you know some of them. Most of you don't know all of them. But I think that the missions of Berean Baptist Church isn't for the missions team. It's not for the pastoral staff to be involved in. It's for the family at Berean to be involved in. I would that all of you would know our missionaries, that you'd be praying for them, that you would know one or more of them personally, that you would interact with them. I would love it if all of you had the opportunity to visit personally with one or more of them. When those things happen, God really unites our hearts together with what's going on across this world. I want to take a moment just to go over some of the missionaries and missions organizations that we support that you may not know about. Jana Osipenko is one of our newest missionaries. She's serving in Poland. You may remember her. She was born in Ukraine. Um, uh, during uh, the, she was here, I don't know, several months ago, and she shared about what God was doing. And at that time, by the way, she was about $15,000 short 
of being fully funded and able to go. Um, it never even, that word I don't think got to the second service yet before two people offered to pay the entirety of that. Just incredible. You are a generous church. We have something called Sat7. It's a ministry to Muslim people in hard-to-reach areas that uh, Christianity is highly persecuted. It's a radio broadcast where they are able to proclaim the gospel in the Muslim areas. There's John Baxter, who's got ministries to converge all over the world. There's Steve Cable, uh, so many of you know, who runs Sanisuk uh, English School in Thailand. Several of you in our congregation have been there and have worked with him in that. Dan Gibbs uh, does HIV and AIDS ministry in Nigeria. John Main has served a lifetime in Asia and is part of a church planting movement that's happening there. Steve Wilkinson is one of your own, came from Berean, also serving in Asia. William Martin in Senegal. Uh, Marguerite Friedman in Israel. Drew Robertson and his family who have served 10 years in Lebanon who have recently come back stateside. Dave Connell, many of you know his family sitting here, some of them. Dave Connell in Central and South America, one of our own. Steve Sorkel, we sent him from Berean, serving the Caribbean. We've planted various churches in our region and beyond as well. We've planted churches in Loudonville, in Crossroads, in Mansfield. We're currently working with Luntrell Abstin as he's planting a church in Euclid, Ohio. There's Press Church down near Columbus. You support Camp Burton, a, a, a summer camp, or mostly a summer camp, that right now some kids may be hearing the gospel for the first time, in part because of your generosity. We've served uh, Love, Inc. for several years. We have a food pantry here that it operates out of Berean Baptist Church that now the fifth graders help with. Dale Bear, one of our own, who is a minister uh, to chi with Child Evangelism Fellowship in five counties. Patty Arvidson is also a part of that. Eric Asp and Jason Slack, who uh, do church services at Kent State through H2O. Brian Walls is Youth for Christ in Cleveland. You support Richland Pregnancy Services and Mansfield Christian Schools. We support J.J. Alderman, who has planted dozens of churches in Togo and now works with the Timothy Initiative to do the same throughout the world. By the way, the Timothy Initiative is extremely exciting. They, they are working with other missions organizations right now, mapping out all of the villages throughout the world. They just finished doing so in Nepal, and they have an actionable plan to plant a, a church in every village in Nepal. It's incredible. I'm actually going to be going this week to see some of what they're doing in Togo and Benin in West Africa, and I look forward to um, letting you know that what I witnessed there as I get back. Eugene has a last name that I'm not even going to try, is ministering in Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Moldova, a Ukrainian family. Matt Pound, whom many of you know well, Faithful Hearts in Thailand. Jephtha, who's a pastor and a uh, professor, a president of a, a college in Haiti. Anatoly, who's a pastor of Grace Baptist Church, which is our sister church in Brovery, Ukraine. We'll look more on that in a moment. Fountain of Life School, Master's Provision, and Curtis Burnham. It sounds like a lot, and it is. You're a generous church, and we are supporting ministries and missions that are happening throughout this world, but there's more work to be done. Again, I would love it if one or more of these people was a name of somebody that you knew well. If you want to be more involved, if you want to perhaps even go somewhere, if you want to know the emails or how to correspond with some of these missionaries, let us know. We'd be happy to connect you, and they'd be happy to hear from you. Back to... Um, uh, the Grace Church in Brovery in Ukraine. Um, many of you know we've had this, this long-standing relationship with them. In the first service, we were actually able to do a video um, just congratulating them on 30 years. Uh, this is a church we've been partnered with now for 28 years. We helped them, you helped them, build a physical building where they're meeting every Sunday, even throughout uh, this, this war that's happening. And if you didn't know, Brovery, where this, our sister church is located, is about 45 miles from Kiev, on your way to Moscow. And there is a military installation there, so it's not the safest place. We have people here who have been to uh, visit and serve in this church over 40 times throughout the year. Uh, Grace Church in Brovery, I think, sign, uh, uh, stands as a shining of example of what a missions relationship or partnership ought to look like. I would like to see us have that kind of relationship in more areas as well. That leads me to my final introduction this morning, and that is uh, many of you know I was in, in England in um, February, and part of my time was spent in Liverpool. While I was in Liverpool, I was able to 
uh, make a connection with Christ Church Liverpool and Pastor Morris McCracken, who in just a moment you're going to meet. Um, this church is doing some incredible things, and I'm going to have the opportunity, we're going to have the opportunity to hear about what's happening through Christ Church Liverpool. But the reason I'm making this introduction is I would love for us to have the kind of relationship with Christ Church in Liverpool that we do with uh, Grace Church in Broverie. It's on that note I'd actually like to invite up to the stage with me Pastor Morris McCracken from Christ Church Liverpool, if you'd give him a round of applause. Thanks for coming on up. I, uh, I told the first, kind of first service as well, um, I was a little bit um, apprehensive to bring Pastor Morris up. He's, he's an Oxford grad, and he's very much more, very much more, he's smarter than I am. <laughs> Dag on it. Anyways. I did, is this working? I don't know. Sorry. It's probably not working, Ian. He's smarter than me, but he can't figure out his microphone. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely on this. Oh, there, oh, we there go. you go. Great. Yeah, good. There you go. Thank you. So Pastor, yes. I've asked Pastor Morris to share a little bit of the background of what's going on in Liverpool, but also to lead us in communion, the Lord's Supper, just the way he would do so at Christ Church. Again, when we take the Lord's Supper, it unites the church uh, all over the globe, both past and present and future, together in a very special way. And um, to, to, as we take the Lord's Supper together, we need to remind, remind ourselves that this is happening all across the world. And that's, that's, that's very special. So, Pastor Great. Morris, if you would go ahead and take it away from here. Great. Thank you so much. I want to thank you all for having me here. It always feels strange when you say that to your congregation, because, of course, you just have to put up with me being here. So, thank you to Pastor Dan for inviting me. It's a joy to be here. I've been so welcomed. Let me tell you a little bit about Liverpool to begin with. I've got some pictures that might act as prompts for your memory. Liverpool is a port city, uh, famously a port city. Um, actually, years ago, for different reasons. I've been to Ohio and Kentucky before, and I went to visit uh, the Museum of the Underground Railroad, and there's one place in the UK marked on the map in that uh, museum, and it is Liverpool, because it was the third point on the triangle of uh, crossings for the slave trade. So Liverpool has an extremely checkered history. It was a wealthy city in the 18th and 19th century, but for very bad reasons and then has slipped into post-industrial decline in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. The city region is about 600,000 people. My guess, no one's done this research, but my guess is that this morning, two, maybe 3% of those people were in a church of any sort. Uh, and that includes a lot of Catholic churches. It's an extremely Catholic city. So we have lots of work to do. Uh, the Beatles are from Liverpool. That's one of the reasons that makes the city famous. And it's still the city people come to for a good time. Uh, it is a party city, lots of live music. Um, we could tell that COVID was properly over in Liverpool because all the, do you call them stag parties? Is that what you call them? Like before people get married and they go out for like a massive party with their friends, all of those came back to Liverpool. It's that type of city people come to for a good time. Uh, that's a typical Liverpool street, lots of terraced houses, it's not a wealthy place. And that building there that you can see in the background, I live beside it, is the Anglican Cathedral in Liverpool, which is the fifth largest cathedral in the world. But there's not much gospel stuff going on in there now, it's a civic building really. Anyway, it's a bit about Liverpool. Let me tell you about Christchurch. We began 20 years ago this September, 10 of us thought we've got to do something, just as Pastor Dan's been sharing, we've got to do something to get the gospel more to this city. Church, uh, the city did have some thriving churches, but mostly in wealthy suburbs. And so 10 of us, 12 of us said, we're going to try and start something in the center of the city. Uh, no one played an instrument. I learned the guitar so we could do sung worship, but the song repertoire was very limited. I was like, sorry, I can't do B minor yet, so we can't <laughs> play your favorite song. Uh, that's how small it was. Uh, over 20 years, we've um, grown. We're a church now on Sunday of about 200 that meets uh, 25 nations represented. And uh, most of the people attending church in Liverpool, if they attend, are, are older. Our average age is young, younger than me. You can guess what age that is afterwards if you like, but please be polite. Let me tell you about some of the challenges and opportunities we have. These should, some pictures should come up on the screen as well about this. Um, 
I've put a rainbow flag there to represent that Liverpool is now a really secular city. The post-Christian thing Pastor Dan is talking about, we are living that. So um, our church meets in a school hall that's owned by a small private Christian school. I wouldn't try to rent a movie theater or a room in a university or anything like that. They would just not have us there. I am a proud Baptist, and I am a proud evangelical Christian. I would not use either of those words around Liverpool because that puts you in the box with Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. It's entirely secular place, suspicious of Christianity. I think it's a negative force in the world, not a positive force in the world. That's what we're living. I want to encourage you, though, if you feel like that's where your nation is going, what you find is people have no clue about the gospel, and they're amazed when they hear it. You know, probably when people are just, they've had a bit of Christianity, they're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. We don't get that at all. People are like, really? You believe that? And uh, every week at our church, we have interested non-Christians because it's just so new to them. It's radical. It's different. So lots of opportunities, as Pastor Dan has been saying. What's my next picture? Oh, yeah, football, soccer, I should say, to bridge the cultural gap here. Uh, Liverpool is a big football city. I've had to move church business meetings on several occasions because they qualified for a particular competition. Uh, so it can be a little bit of an idol, soccer, but that community around football is an amazing place for Christians to be because it's so tight-knit, and several people in our church are involved in that, and they get amazing opportunities to live and share their faith. Uh, this is my local park. This picture on the top right is my local park on the Muslim festival of Eid. So this is um, the end of the festival. They gather together to eat. They kill a sheep, and they all eat it represents something that I don't quite understand. Uh, but a huge community of Muslims in Liverpool. That can feel very intimidating, but our experience is that community is incredibly open, uh, especially non-Arabic-speaking people from Muslim countries. I'm going to tell this story. It's nothing to do with our church, just a great story. Is that okay? About God doing impossible things. We have a couple in our church who are Iranian, and they were put in prison in Iran. They were secular Muslims, but they were politically active against the regime in Iran. They were arrested at a demonstration and put in prison. And Nikki, the wife, was in a cell, five or six women. I mean, we cannot imagine what the conditions were like. But somebody had some pages of the Bible. It was actually from a really weird religious book we discovered later, but it had bits of the Bible in it. And at night, they used to read these bits of the Bible to each other because it was the only comfort they could have. And she, after they were in, she was in prison for three weeks. At the end of three weeks, she was like, I think I believe this. I think I'm a Christian now. But how am I going to tell my secular Muslim husband that I think I believe in Jesus? So they both got out of prison. She was in a men's prison. He was in a men's prison. She said, they ran towards each other. They hugged. And he said to her, I've got something I've become a Christian in prison. And he had shared a cell with a guy, and he said he was so calm, he was so quiet, he just knelt by his bed all the time. And I said to him, what, what's with you? And he was a Christian, he'd evangelized, he'd become a Christian. Entirely separately, they both become Christians, and then they both fled the country and ended up in the UK. God is doing, in a prison in Iran, like, God is doing impossible things all the time. Anyway, that's no credit to us uh, in our church. It's just a good story. But we are baptizing four people next weekend, and three of them are Muslim background believers. So there's so many opportunities there. And what's my last picture? Oh, yes, the Labour Party, which is the left-wing socialist party in the UK. I don't want to get all political. Uh, but Liverpool is an incredibly left-wing socialist city, and that's not a movement that loves the church, generally, but we have found there's actually lots of open doors there to talk about justice, to talk about the care of the poor, to talk about why people matter, and so that does give us opportunities. Uh, there's a large group, uh, large, not compared to anything here, but a group of churches in Liverpool that want to bring every man, woman, and child 
within a living Christian congregation, within five minutes or ten minutes walk of a living Christian congregation. Uh, we are not never going to do that, our church, by ourselves, but we want to contribute to it. So over the 20 years we've existed, we've planted or revitalized six other congregations in the city region. Someone did a piece of artwork for us for Like Courageous Communities was a church retreat we were doing. And this is an artist's impression of the area and the different churches that were coming together for that, that we've planted or revitalized. So we've done that six times and we're committed to that. It means we constantly feel weak and overstretched, but there's just too much to do to just keep building what we're building and expecting people to come to us. And we're about to embark on our seventh one of those soon, hopefully. Well, I guess it was probably five or six hours ago that churches in the UK were taking the Lord's Supper together. We're going to do that now, and uh, your stewards are going to come forward and distribute the elements. And Pastor Dan has asked me to uh, talk about do communion the way I would do it in my own church at home. I often say to my own church, when we're taking communion, you can be looking up, looking at the Lord and remembering what he's done for us and worshiping him. You can be looking in, remembering your own sin and what God has done to forgive it. Or you can be looking around because every Christian you see is only right with God because of the death of Jesus we're remembering. This is Jesus' great victory in action, the church, because people from Iran and the UK and the United States and all over the world, we're all standing right with God the same way through this death of Jesus that we're remembering. So maybe today is the day as we think about the global church to not only look in and up, but to look out. One of the things I most love about being a Christian is that the Lord knows us. He knows every sin we're hiding from everyone else. And yet, Jesus saves us and loves us anyway. And so the discipline of confession is good for us, not because it gets us more forgiven, but because we're living in the relationship with God where we're not hiding things from him. And so I'm going to use a prayer of confession as the elements are given out. In our church, we'd actually say this out loud together. I'm just going to read it to you. But it's a prayer that was written by an Englishman in the 17th century that we use all the time. So we're going to use this prayer to confess our sins to God. So shall we bow our heads and I'll pray it for us. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought, word, and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Why don't we just take a few moments of quiet for us each to reflect before the Lord about anything we want to bring before him. Hear the words of comfort our Savior Jesus Christ says to all who turn to him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear what the Apostle Paul says. This is a true saying worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hear what the Apostle John says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, and He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In the words of John Calvin, this is medicine for the sick.
It is comfort for the sinner. It is riches for the poor. This is of no benefit to the healthy or the righteous or the rich if such people could be found. We offer our unworthiness so that his mercy may make us worthy of him. We despair in ourselves so that we may find comfort in him. We lower ourselves so that we may be lifted up by him. We come as poor to a kind giver. We come as sinners to the author of righteousness. We come as dead to him who gives us life. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Shall we eat the bread together? In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Shall we drink together? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.